Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 5 and 40 podcast. This is Gregory Steele, and I'm your host. I'm glad you're joining me for another episode. Um, I guess we're a couple weeks out from the last one. Still not quite as good as I'd like to do, but better than previous, right? So I guess if, as long as we keep getting better, we're headed in the right direction. So today I was going to talk about five topics as normal. That's what we do on the 5 and 40 podcast, and I guess I've been talking about actually having a B5 and 51. So uh, we'll talk about five topics for that period of time. If you've never listened before, thanks for joining us. If you have listened, I appreciate you continuing to listen. And if you have any comments or emails or anything like that, uh, please let us know. You can always leave us a comment on the Facebook page for 5in40, or you can email us at 5in40 at gmail.com. So the first thing that I was going to talk about today was the honey-finished bourbon, and I know I've talked about that before in the past, but we're kind of headed into batch three now, and so if you hadn't listened in the past, just for a little bit of preview, I'm kind of interested in bourbon. I'm a member of the Southwest Georgia uh, Whiskey Society, and uh, we'll have bourbon tastings, although with COVID, all that stuff's been kind of going off the rail. But I sort of get interested in some of the bourbons that are not just your run-of-the-mill stuff. I like to get some interesting things and some things that are more limited run sometimes than the things that you can just kind of get a bunch of them or that are made every year or that are made fairly regularly. Um, At one point, I had a couple hundred bottles. I sold quite a few of them. Uh, I still have, I'd say, probably 60 or 70 left. Um, And I certainly don't drink a lot of bourbon as much as I used to, and it certainly is better to drink in the winter. But with all that being said, I do just like to do different things. I mean, it's one thing just to like bourbon and to find bottles and to a lot of people collect them and a lot of things like that. But I like to just try to do some different stuff. So one of the things you can do is that you can get your own bourbon barrel, which is made out of uh, charred American oak. And then you can start to try to finish your own bourbons. Now, the thing is, is that um, the way that bourbon is made is that it's made out of grains and those grains are fermented and distilled and it makes a clear alcohol and then that clear alcohol which they call white dog is placed in a charred oak barrel and as it sits in the charred oak barrel it's the the contact of that alcohol with the charred barrel that gives it the brown color and gives it the bourbon flavor so initially it's just sort of this clear sort of flavorless alcohol and so you can get your own barrels. Now, the interesting thing is is that um, the, the amount of flavor that you get and how quickly you get it is based on how much of that liquid is in contact with the wall of that barrel at any one time. So they're usually made in 55-gallon barrels, and they put a lot in there. But when you think about that, there's not a whole bunch of that alcohol that's actually in contact with the wall of that barrel at any one time. And so it ages very slowly. And so you'll see some bourbons that are aged 18, 21 years. I mean, the majority of them are somewhere between probably four and seven, but some of them much longer. But there's a risk with leaving them in the barrel too long because they can get too much oak flavor. And when they get too much oak flavor, they're just not good anymore. And that risk is pretty low when you're dealing with 55-gallon drums. But my barrel is a two-liter barrel. And so what that means is I put two liters of bourbon in there, and 
it's such a small amount of bourbon and so much of it contacts the wall of the barrel at any one time that that process happens really rapidly and it's really super easy to get it over oaky so you have to be very careful in how long you leave it in there and you have to taste it and uh, you just have to pull it out at just the right time because it's sort of one of those things like a pork chop right pork chop you know that you cook it and it just has this very small window where it's underdone between when it's perfect, between when it's overdone and it's like cardboard, right? Well, it's sort of like that. And so I've been doing, and well, so the question is, is you can buy this stuff called White Dog, just this clear alcohol. And you can put it in your own charred oak barrels at home and you can leave it in there and you can basically try to make your own bourbon from scratch. The only problem is, is that with these smaller barrels, you can't leave it in there long enough to actually get any good bourbon flavor because of the fact that it gets over oaky too fast. And so um, these smaller barrels just really aren't great for that. But what they are great for is finishing bourbon. So, you know, if you have bourbons that are really young, and by that I mean like four years in the barrel, you know, sometimes to add additional flavor, you could put it in this barrel for a little while longer and you could just get some more oak flavor into it. Um, another option is is that you can um, take what they call bottom shelf stuff, so basically like the cheapest bourbons, and they'll say you can take these really cheap bourbons and you can put them into a barrel for a period of time, and you can sort of make a cheaper bourbon sort of better or make it taste like something that's more expensive. Um, I haven't actually tried that, but I have heard that, that people... Uh, do that and they say that they have some success with it but the other thing you can do with it is you can finish bourbon now bourbon has very strict rules for what makes it a bourbon it, it has to follow all these rules with what grains can go in it it has to go in new charred oak barrels it has to just follow all these rules and so technically in order to be bourbon you can't really add much to it can't really add flavors to it but what you can do is you can make a bourbon and then after you make a bourbon, you can take it out of the barrel that's in and you can put it into another barrel that had something else in it. And that's basically called finishing. So you can find bourbons that have all kinds of finishes. I mean, you'll find them where they make a bourbon and then they they pour it into a barrel that had port in it or wine in it or tequila in it or another liquor of some kind or whatever. Sometimes other things like honey and sometimes vanilla. I mean, you see even something like uh, Fireball, which I don't necessarily think is a great example, but it's a whiskey, not a bourbon. But the point being that that's a cinnamon finish, right? And so, um, so you can do that. So I've been experimenting that now for probably about two years and what I've done with mine is I've been doing honey finish I'm lucky that my wife's boss uh, Dr. Simmons uh, who's a dentist who also makes his own honey uh, is around because he helps me get the honey because I need two liters of honey to do it and I'm on my second bath so four liters of honey it's not super easy to come across and of course it's very expensive so he's been very good to me but basically what you do with this barrel is the first thing you do is you put some bourbon in it now it's about two and a half bottles that goes in a two liter barrel and I've been doing blends so you could put three bottles of the same thing in there but what I've been doing is blends of three different bourbons that I like and just putting them in there and letting them age and then finishing them and I've had some good success with that and so what you do first is you put some bourbon in now when you first put the bourbon in it's it soaks into those wood staves and so i left it in there for a while i took it out i put the honey in and when i put the honey in it's it started to absorb some of that bourbon flavor and then when i um took the honey out 
it had it had gotten some bourbon flavor and then I put the bourbon back in and at that time the bourbon started to infuse not just the oak but also some of the honey then I took the bourbon out, put the honey back in, and it's sort of like this thing where you interchange it several times. But at the end of it, what you have is you have a bourbon-finished honey, and you have a honey-finished bourbon. And I will tell you that the bourbon-finished honey is fantastic. I haven't found anybody that doesn't really like it. It doesn't put a huge amount of alcohol flavor into it, but it just puts a little bit of bourbon flavor into it. It's really delicious. It's great on cornbread and oatmeal and basically anything you'd like to put honey on. It is good stuff. But the bourbon has been interesting. And so with the first batch of honey, I actually did two batches of bourbon with that one batch of honey. So just taking the honey in, bourbons out, and those kind of things. And so the interesting thing was how the proof of the bourbons actually impacted things. So batch one of the bourbon that I did was a mixture of three bourbons that were all around 80 proof. I did... Um, uh, let's see, I did Weller Special Reserve, I did some Buffalo Trace. Actually, I put the third one in there, which I only did half a bottle of, was Old Granddad 114, so it was a little bit higher proof, but it's probably in the low 90s. And what I found was, is that I was really able to get honey flavor into the bourbon. You'd taste it, and it would taste all like honey, and there wasn't much bourbon flavor. And I kept tasting it. I had it in there a couple of months, and then I just was tasting it on a weekly basis. And it was just honey, 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 no bourbon, honey, no bourbon. And so finally I started to get where I had some bourbon flavor into it, and I pulled it from the barrel, but I think I pulled it a little bit too late. But the problem was is, is with the lower-proof bourbons, by the time I could get some bourbon flavor into it, it was over-oaked, and you can taste it. You taste it, and it just doesn't taste necessarily right. It has a nice honey taste. It does have a little bit of bourbon burn, but it just has this odd taste. I guess I'm not going to say it's terrible. I'm just, I mean, it's it's drinkable, and it's decent, but it just isn't exceptional. And so the second batch that I did was all three bourbons that were all 100 proof. And so this time uh, I went up probably about 10 proof, and what I found with batch number two was is the higher proof was able to get the bourbon flavor more readily. Still did a really good job of soaking up all the honey flavor, but got the bourbon flavor a lot more readily. And it was much more balanced. I was able to pull it before it got over-oaked. And it's a nice honey front with a nice bourbon finish. And so basically, I have batch two of the honey in there. And the thing that happened with batch two of the honey was it crystallized in the barrel and it was kind of chilly all winter and so I now am putting it in the sun every day and I have about 80-85% of it out but I'm trying to get the rest of it out so I can put batch 3 in and the interesting thing about batch 3 is these are all 110 or 111 proof so again going up another 10 proof because what I'm thinking is is that going even a little higher proof than I was, I'm going to have a lot more success with being able to control the balance of the honey and the bourbon flavor and being able to pull it before it gets over-oaked. So I think batch one was a little questionable. Batch two, I think, was pretty spectacular. But my real hope is that batch three will be even better. So hopefully I can get the uh, honey out soon and get batch three in. And once it gets in there, it's probably about a four-month process. The honey stays out, and then when the bourbon's done, the honey goes back in so that I can get more bourbon flavor in the honey. And I'll probably do batch four in this honey before I take it out. Uh, but it's a cool project. It's fun. It's time-consuming. I'm probably a year and a half in, and I have one batch of honey and two batches of bourbon so far. Um, but, you know, it's not something that's labor-intensive. Most of the time, it's stuff's just sitting in the barrel, and you're looking at it. I like to shake it every once in a while. But 
if you're listening and you're interested in bourbon or you're interested in that project, hit me up, send me an email, send me a message if you want to try some of it. Certainly let me know and you can you can have a try. We'll have a good time. So the next thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, I'm going to talk two segments in this thing about different things with cryptocurrency. And if you listen to the last episode, you'll you'll know that I've really kind of gotten interested in this. And I sort of gotten interested in maybe furthering my retirement income as a whole. I mean, I I know I've been saving in my retirement. I know my wife has in our 401ks, 403bs, you know, putting money into mutual funds. And not that that has done poorly over time. But honestly, I, we were talking about it and I never really looked at it and said, oh, wow, you know, we're going to retire. And are we doing enough, right? And so when I looked, I did, I was, I was doing okay. And I mean, we saw a guy and he said we were doing okay. But in my opinion, I don't know. I thought maybe we could do better. So the first thing I did was open a Roth IRA, and I really recommend that to people. Now, I guess I need a disclaimer here that I am not a financial advisor, (laughs) right? So if you're interested in anything I'm saying, uh, research it if you want to do any of those things. I'm telling you what I personally did, and I did this based on people I've talked to in my personal research. But I can't tell you that for you and your situation that I'd be steering you in the right direction. So don't do it because I said I did it, but... But if it sounds interesting to you or like something that you might think is good, look into your yourself and talk to some other people. Um, but and, and again, I mean, really, when it comes to this kind of stuff, maybe it's best to talk to a financial advisor, right? That ain't me. But the Roth IRA thing is the thing I think everybody should look into, depending on your income. You know, you have to be below a certain income threshold. If you're above it, you don't qualify for a Roth IRA. But I think the great thing about a Roth IRA is the fact that you're putting money into your 401k um, or your other kind of IRA, and basically that's pre-tax income. Now, what's great about pre-tax income is is that that comes out of your paycheck before it gets taxed. So your taxable income is lower. You pay less tax now. However, later when you retire and you're taking that money out, you're going to pay tax on it then. And so who the heck knows what the tax rates are going to be You know, whenever we retire. I'm sure they'll be higher. I mean, right now we're just kind of printing money like crazy, and so that leads to inflation, and that's going to lead to depression in the stock market, and that certainly will lead to higher taxes in the future to kind of try to pay for this debt. And so a Roth IRA is different because Roth IRA is money that you get in your paycheck and is already taxed now, and you put it in. But whatever money you invest in a Roth IRA, because post-tax income goes in there, when you take it out later, it's not taxed. Now, at this point, the maximum you can put in there is 6000 a year. Now, it is an IRA or an individual account, meaning you can open one for you and one for your spouse, and you both can put in $6,000 a year. But still, uh, if you look at the number of years I have to retire, it's not like I have a ton of years, even if I did $12,000. It's going to be an amount, but it won't be anything like what my you know other accounts would be. But I do find it interesting that... Um, you could have that account and that you could not pay interest on it later because then when you retire and you're taking money out of these accounts, some of it would be taxed and some of it would not be. Um, Now, outside of the Roth IRA, though, uh, a couple other considerations you might have heard me talk about in the last episode was to talk about um, something that's called uh, kind of hedging. And so the one thing to think about is inflation. So when the government prints a whole bunch of dollars, 
eventually what happens is that there's so many dollars that each dollar has less buying power. I mean, that's inflation. The value of things go down. The value of your money goes down. And so basically what they say is is that if there's a whole bunch of money created, that really it's a three to four year window before you really see the inflation. But considering over COVID here that we've printed probably around $9 trillion, I think there's a good expectation that three or four years from now we could see some pretty decent inflation from that. And so there are things that are hedges to inflation. And what that means is, is that there's things that when the stock market goes up, they go down. But when the stock market goes down, they go up. And some of those things to look into might be bonds might do that. But uh, precious metals like gold and silver tend to go up when that goes down. And another thing that uh, may do that is cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is something that is sort of a hedge against inflation. Now, with all that being said... At this moment, I'm, I think you could say cryptocurrency used to be a good hedge against inflation. I mean, at this moment, the stock market continues to really go crazy. Cryptocurrency continues to go crazy. Um, but I think that cryptocurrency historically has shown that it tends to hold value. And, it, and really, the value of this stuff goes up that hedges because people start putting their money in it. Because, like, when you take the big investors and the rich people and the big hedge funds and all these things, when the stock market starts going down, they pull money out of it and they put it into other things that are getting better yields, right? And so the reason why precious metals go up when the stock market goes down is because people are taking money out of the stock market and pushing it in precious metals, and that price gets inflated. And so cryptocurrency happens the same way. Um, And there's a big boom in cryptocurrency, but... I think that we didn't see this boom in cryptocurrency, for instance, when President Trump was in office. And it's not really about President Trump as much as it is that his financial policies are a lot different than our current administrations. You already have Joe Biden talking about increasing um, capital gains tax, which means that the people that are making money in the stock market are going to make less money because they're going to have to pay more tax on the money that they make in the stock market. And so in response to that, people pull money out of the stock market and they start putting it into other places. And one of those places is cryptocurrency. Um, So I've kind of gotten kind of interested in cryptocurrency. And uh, so it's kind of interesting because historically cryptocurrency has just been seen as this black market thing, right? But these days, you know, cryptocurrency is reported. You know, the major cryptocurrency exchanges are giving you tax forms and they are reporting to the government. And so it's not like this stuff is off books or it's not like clandestine or not something you'd get in trouble for. Now, there is a lot of that stuff on the web that is hidden, but you don't have to invest in that kind of stuff. There's plenty of legit stuff you can invest in. And so I have kind of gotten into, I think, about six cryptocurrencies. And I think the thing I wanted to say about it is, is that, and this really is maybe for my good friend Josh Treadaway, who always listens to podcasts. I appreciate you, buddy, and thank you for the email. He sent me my first ever 5 and 40 email. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's this coin called Dogecoin that's been out, and it was kind of made as a joke, and then all of a sudden it got really big and hot, and Elon Musk started talking about it, and Snoop Dogg started talking about it, and so celebrities, and it was in the press. And so because of that, the cost of this coin really went up. But I think the cautionary tale about Dogecoin is what it's driven on, because it's driven on famous people talking about it, but it doesn't have value that it that it actually does anything. And so there's an interesting thing. Everybody's heard of Bitcoin, right? But the second highest coin or the second biggest coin is called Ethereum. And so basically Bitcoin has a has a limited number of Bitcoin and it's sort of the most expensive one and it's sort of the chain upon which all the rest of this stuff is built. But at the end of the day when you buy a Bitcoin 
you're buying it, you're putting it in an account, it's sitting there and you're hoping it will go up and it's like a stock. It's going up, it's going down, whatever. But it doesn't do anything else. It doesn't have any other purpose. Now, Ethereum is a coin on which a whole bunch of things are built. So there's companies that are built on Ethereum and there's blockchains and there's all these kind of things. And the point of that being that Ethereum has function. So on top of just being something you would buy and you'd put away and you'd invest in, Ethereum also is valuable from the standpoint of it drives industry and it drives business. And so that's what I think about Ethereum. And there are a lot of people that think even though Bitcoin's the big player now that in the future that Ethereum could actually surpass Bitcoin. And they just believe that based on the fact that Ethereum has use and Bitcoin really does not. Um, now, with all that being said, that's the thing that I say about Dogecoin because Dogecoin went up because people started talking about it, because celebrities talking about it, because it's sort of a fad. But there's nothing behind it and it doesn't do anything. Now, there is something now where there's a bunch of coins that actually are are doing things, that they are the basis of a business or the basis of something, and that that thing, like, so just an example, I want to create a business that is about, that makes it easier to swap cryptocurrency with lower fees, all right, so to finance that business, I create my own coin, and then that coin is traded, and then that coin is utilized in order to make these faster trades happen, and then the value of that coin goes up because my business is successful. So that's a coin that has value and that that value is actually built on something that the coin actually does. And so when you look at it, it's like the future coin, like coins like Dogecoin might get some value right now because celebrities talk about them and they're kind of the thing in the minute. But with that being said, the coins that are going to kind of maintain this long-term future value are coins upon which a business is built and that business is successful and people trust the business and so therefore they invest in the coin because they know the business has value. Um, now, it's coming up on the 22-minute mark here, but I'm going to probably talk two segments about cryptocurrency, so I'm just going to continue on the same vein I'm on now. So the one thing that I hear a lot about cryptocurrency with Bitcoin, you know, recently being like $60,000 and even Ethereum, which was 2000 not too long ago, is up to 3000 and I'd like to buy some Ethereum, but I don't want to buy it at 3000 But I'm really concerned that maybe it's not going to get back below 3000 But at the same time, I could buy it at 3000 now or maybe later, unless it goes to four. I don't know, right? Um, you know, Bitcoin might not have the growth potential that Ethereum does because Ethereum's just been 2000 and it has a lot of room to grow. I'm interested in getting some Ethereum and holding it for 15 years and seeing if it's bigger than Bitcoin in 15 years, right? Because it could be because of the things it does. But... Um, basically people say, well, I shouldn't, I can't get into crypto now. It's too late. You know, I missed the bubble for Bitcoin. It's 60,000. I'm going to be totally honest with you. The way Bitcoin works is that Bitcoin only will ever have 21 million coins mined. At this moment, 18 million have been mined. There's only three left to ever mine that, and once those are gone, they're gone and Bitcoin's capped. So one of the reasons why Bitcoin might have more value in the future than Ethereum, it might be scarcity because there's only going to be so many. And the interesting thing about the blockchain is is that the blockchain uses all these big numbers that can't be hacked. 
and so your your bitcoins can be safe because they're on the blockchain however if you ever lose your blockchain number you lose your bitcoin and without that number you never can get it back and so what they say is at this point four million bitcoins have actually been lost and will never be found again so even though there's only supposed to be 21 million it's technically going to probably be more like 17 considering the ones that are lost and never be found um but you know, people will say, well, I can't put money in now. It's too late. It's like I didn't invest low enough and it, and, and everything's too high and I can't make money. And I, I don't know that I believe that. Uh, I don't think cryptocurrency is going anywhere. You have Elon Musk that put a lot of money in it, you know, Mark Cuban. But the other thing is, is that um, big financial institutions are starting to invest in Bitcoin. You have Bitcoin ETFs coming out. Um, I mean, it's getting more mainstream, and when it gets mainstream, it's not going to go away, right? And maybe more importantly, the government sort of figured out how to tax it, and as long as the government can tax something, they're generally happy with it, right? I mean, look at cigarettes. And so I don't think this stuff's going anywhere, and I really think you could buy a Bitcoin at $60,000 today, and in in 20 years, it could be $400,000. I don't think that's weird. But at the same time, I sort of understand about... You know, the people that you see on TV that are like Bitcoin, you know, multimillionaires and billionaires. I mean, those are people that bought really low and this stuff soared and they made a bunch of money. And so, yeah, I'm investing in some cryptocurrency, but I'm sort of interested in what's the next big thing. I mean, is there any possibility anymore to buy low and to hopefully later sell high? And so on my research, I mean, I think the answer is yes. And I think the answer is DeFi. So DeFi stands for Decentralized Finance, and it's the next big thing in crypto, and it's sort of a different thing than crypto, and it's sort of right now an emerging market. And it's kind of interesting because, so all of these companies are coming out on the Ethereum chain to do all of these different things in Decentralized Finance, and the goal of Decentralized Finance is like right now, the whole system is built on banks, the whole system is built on brokerage firms, like I want to buy a stock, I have to do it through someone, I have to pay them a fee. Decentralized finance, I mean, I can just buy that stuff on my own, right? Now, there currently are fees in all this cryptocurrency stuff, um, but that's coming down. But the whole goal here is with decentralized finance is can finances be controlled by people and can it be tr controlled outside of this network? And so people are building that. And so they're making cryptocurrency coins that, again, are then being used to finance their projects so that they can build these things. And you have a lot of people, for attractive reasons, moving into decentralized things. And I think it's sort of the wave of the future, and I also think it's the wave of the future of Bitcoin. Or not Bitcoin, but cryptocurrency as a whole. Like the opportunities to maybe buy really low, and then get a lot of value to make a lot of money later, are, I think, based on DeFi coins. Now, when you come back to Dogecoin, and you come back to the fact that it doesn't do anything... Right. So these companies come out and they kind of do these things called white papers. And so you have companies that are working on all the different processes in this DeFi chain. So some of them are working on how you swap coins. Some of them are working on security. Some of them are working on just all these different pieces. And so they make a company. They start working on this stuff. They make a coin. Well, they have these things called white papers and you go read it. And a white paper is basically something that says, okay, this is our, this is why we created this business. This is what we're attempting to do. This is the way we're going to attempt to do this. And so rather than just blindly buying random coins, you can do research into the company. You can read their white papers and you can get involved with groups of people who kind of talk about this stuff and know about it and do a bunch of research and just try to make smart 
financial investments, right? Now, that's the same thing you do in the stock market. You don't just randomly buy companies in the stock market. Now, you do if you invest in mutual funds. You're trying to pay smart people to buy the right stocks so that your value goes up. But in this situation, and are there things that do that in cryptocurrency? Yes, there's a coin called Balance. You can buy this coin called Balance, and basically what Balance is doing is they're buying what they think are smart cryptocurrencies as an investment, and as those cryptocurrencies go up, the Balance token goes up, and you can make money that way. And they're taking fees, and I mean, it's like a traditional brokerage firm, so you can do it that way if you want to, and you don't have to do this stuff yourself. I think the point is, though, is that you... It's not just kind of the Wild West where you're like, oh, I saw Dogecoin on TV and I'm going to buy Dogecoin. It's that you can do investment on these companies and you can read their white papers and you can look at what are these people doing to attempt to make decentralized finance a thing of the future. Because, I mean, some of these companies that are currently doing this stuff are going to be the Coca-Cola and they're going to be the Amazon and they're going to be the Tesla and they're going to be the the apple right i mean some of these companies that have started out right now and are doing these things are going to come out on top and they're going to set the standard for that portion of decentralized finance and if you can find those coins and buy them now while they're low and then they hit later on they could be worth a lot of money and that's a way you can make a lot of money and i don't even think you have to necessarily like i'm not investing huge amounts of money in these companies right now that i think have a chance but you don't have to. I mean, people, you know, put a thousand dollars into Bitcoin twenty years ago, and now they're multimillionaires. Um, not saying that's going to happen, but I think that the chance to do that with Bitcoin is gone. I mean, if you bought ten Bitcoin for six hundred thousand dollars, and in twenty years they were worth one hundred eighty thousand dollars, yeah, that's a pretty decent return. But that's not making you a millionaire like those early Bitcoin millionaires, right? And so my question is: Is can that happen? And I think if it can happen, it's going to happen in the DeFi realm. And so I'm trying to put some research into it. I'm trying to make some smart decisions on some companies to invest a little bit of money in and just kind of let it ride and see what happens. Because uh, why not, right? Um, but, you know, you got to know with this stuff that you certainly could lose it all. Um, and so, you know, not certainly betting any money that I can't, that I have to use to put food on the table or that I got to pay my bills with, right? Don't do that. But if you have a little extra income, certainly maybe not the worst thing in the world. Um so, I don't know. It's an interesting thing. And if you're interested in it, I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, I like to talk to people about it, and I like to learn from other people. And I think if you had a group of people that were interested in it, and everybody was doing their own research, and you put that research together, uh, I think you certainly could uh, come up with some pretty good stuff, right? All right. Well, so I didn't even get to talk to there about BlockFi, and I wanted to, but... Uh, I talked about BlockFi before, but just to let you know, I did put some money into BlockFi, and what BlockFi is, is it's basically like an online financial institution in cryptocurrency, um, and it your current bank interest rates, which are set by the Federal Reserve, so every bank is the same, are about 0.2 to 0.4%, so if you have cash sitting there, you're earning nothing on it. Um, and if you put money into BlockFi, it's being used to fund mobility, of cryptocurrencies for people that are trying to sh uh, swap it to do a variety of things and so they are charging people who want to borrow cryptocurrency 
a lot of money and because you're financing that they will pay you 7.6 percent now the thing is when you put money in there you put u.s dollars in and then automatically converts them over to something called gusd which is like gemini u.s dollar which is something that's called a stable coin and what a stable coin is is it's a coin that's made where the stable coin will always be worth one dollar so the the value of stable coins don't go up and down um, but when you put the money in, they change it into that, and they pay you 7.6% interest on it, which accrues daily and pays out monthly. And so whenever you want to pull the money back out, you can do that. And once, you know, after you get the interest you accrued, you can pull that out as well. Uh, it's not under the radar. The government knows about it. They are giving you 1099s. They're reporting to the government. It goes on your taxes, so it's not some kind of black site or anything. Um, it is a lot safer than a lot of the other things that are going on out there to invest in cryptocurrency. But I guess, again, you can't say it's 100% safe. Um, but my thing is, is that I'm enjoying and it, and it works. I mean, I, I accrued all my interest last month and I got it and I earned more in that month on my money than I earned all last year in like a Discover Savings account. And so if you have some money kind of laying around and you'd like to try to do a little bit better on interest with it, it's certainly something that you could look into. And if you're interested in it, let me know. And I'd be happy to talk to you about it. So you can always email me or message me or call me or whatever. So uh, two more topics uh, for this time. And, uh, you know, it's good to have some things that I'm interested in and talk about. And, again, I appreciate you listening. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the uh, some good things that are going on in, on in Albany. We have some people that are really doing some good things here. And I wanted to really highlight two things specifically. The first thing that I wanted to highlight is a group that is doing something called the community refrigerators around town, that they basically are kind of setting up these refrigerators. And these refrigerators, people are putting food in it, and anyone who's in need can come and just take whatever food out of the refrigerators that they want so that they can feed themselves. Um, I think this is a great idea. I've been very interested in it. I want to really be involved in it. I've contacted the people, and I've joined their Facebook group and these kind of things. And unfortunately, it's just one of those things where it's on my list of things that I want to do and get interested in, and I just haven't gotten into it yet. But I think it's a really, really great idea to kind of help those people that are in need. You know, during COVID, there was a lot more of that, and even food banks didn't have enough to put out. And one other interesting thing that this group does is, like, they'll have Wednesday night barbecues where they just get a bunch of food and they cook it up, and anybody who wants to come eat can come eat. And so I think they're really providing a really nice community service to people, and it's something that I want to get more interested in in the future. And I know that, um, you know, this is happening sort of in a, in a lot of places. Um, but I can tell you that the people that do these kind of things, I mean, they really get it, right? They have a heart for people. They're doing good things for people, and uh, I really appreciate what they're doing. I want to get involved. I'm planning to get involved, and hopefully we'll talk about it on future podcasts about the more intricate details because right now I sort of know they're doing that thing, but I don't know all the in and outs. Um, but I think it's a program that has a lot of merit, and, and it's something that I personally would like to be involved in because I think it's it's very helpful. Another great thing that's going on in Albany is a friend of mine, Jessica, who's a nurse, who started a needle exchange program. It's called 229 uh, Safer Living Access. And, you know, this is a project that she really has put her art into. And I think the thing I could say about this is I think the project's sort of expanding, which is good. Um, you know, at the beginning here, I'm pretty sure she was mostly financing it all herself and doing these kind of things. And so she's working on how could she get grants and how she get involved with other groups, which I think is great because the need is so great. But, you know, the real thing about this, though, 
is her as far as she is going into the community. You know, she is not saying, hey, if you're kind of addicted, come to my house and I'll give you free needles. I mean, she is going out and she is going to these folks and she is helping them and she is talking to them and she is loving on them and she is helping give them needles and supplying them with other things that they need and trying to help them in the ways that she can help them. And so, you know, if you really want to help people, you kind of have to meet them where they are. You have to go to where they are. You can't necessarily expect them to come, that they're going to come to you. And so I really want to commend her for that because she has really kind of spearheaded this thing and she is on it. And it's how she's spending her weekends and she's getting to know these people and she's doing the best that she can do to A, you know, keep these people safe. So they're not getting hepatitis C and they're not getting HIV and they're not getting um, in blood infections by using dirty needles and all these kind of things. You know, but at the same time, there is some good data out there that says that needle exchange programs actually help people get off drugs. Um, and so she is really working hard with people to attempt to try to get people off drugs. But if they're going to be on drugs, she is trying to help them to do it as safe as possible. And if they get into rough situations, she's trying to help them in any way possible. But she's, but I think the most impressive thing is how she's going to people. And she is um, just putting her heart out there, right? And she's just doing everything she can. And it is a tough job. Like, I, I deal with this group of people. And they're a tough group of people to deal with um, from the standpoint of that... that the lure of drugs is so strong that it sort of controls everything else in their life. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there and a lot of even authorities and, and fundraisers and people in the government and, and people in the public who just look at something like drug abuse or alcohol abuse and they say, well, those people deserve it. I mean, they did it to themselves. But, you know, I, I don't think that I've ever met anyone you know, people had poor coping mechanisms that got into these things, but I never met any one of them that said, you know what I really wanted? What I really wanted was to get hooked on this, right? What I was hoping would happen is I'd get hooked on this and it would destroy my life. I mean, you know what I mean? So in a time of, of crisis or in a time when people are distraught and people are distressed, they may turn to things like drug and alcohol, which are coping and are poor coping mechanisms. There's no doubt about it. I don't think anybody's intentionally getting hooked and intentionally having these things happen to them. And then, unfortunately, the lure of these things is so strong that it's so hard to break out of. It's so hard. And there just aren't programs that are really out there to help people. You know, the government sued the opioid companies saying, oh, you destroyed all these people's lives and they got billions and billions of dollars that they said that they were going to plow back into drug rehab. Well... I don't know what they did with that money, but it hasn't impacted Albany. There's no new drug treatment centers here. There's no community resources. There's no anything to help these people. And so, you know, we have a community failure. And so people like Jessica are out there, and they are trying to bridge this community failure, which is not easy to do. Um, so I commend her for that. But it, it just shows that people can really love on each other and that people can care about each other and that people, you know, can just have some understanding just understanding that none of us are perfect and that we all get in terrible situations sometimes and we need someone to help pull us out sometimes and that no one's too far gone and that no one doesn't deserve some love. You know what I mean? And so, Jessica, kudos to you for uh, being that person because um, I'm wowed by it personally. Um, you know, 
but it's people that have these ideas that that change things you know and so i i certainly uh commend her for that so uh just something fun to talk about today the last thing i wanted to talk about was to do a little bit of 80s trivia because who doesn't like 80s trivia right so i've been cleaning um i have a bedroom in my house and of course like any man's bedroom it just gets a bunch of junk in it so i took a desk out recently i put a new desk in i'm cleaning all the drawers out all the closets all the everything i'm finding all this junk that i didn't know that i had for however many years one of the things I found in one of my piles and piles and piles of, like, old computer CDs is the 80s trivia game with Martha Quinn. So I've been playing that. I'm pretty good at it. I'm especially pretty good at the music part, right? Because <laughs> I like that stuff. So I played a game, and uh, when I played the game, I wrote down 13 questions. I figured for the podcast we would talk about the 13 questions, and you could try to answer them. And then uh, at the end, we'll give you the answers, and you could try to score yourself. Um, so question number one. So question number one is, what is the name of Poison's debut album? Now, we had a get-together at my house for the Kentucky Derby this past weekend. My friend Cade, who's the drummer in 95, was over here. And uh, he was talking about this first Poison album, because if you actually pull up this Poison album and you look, like the dudes from Poison look straight up more beautiful than models like they had so much makeup on it's crazy he was saying like him and his friend were looking at it and go man we really like these girls <laughs> I'm like oh those are girls <laughs> so anyway what was the name of poison's first album that's question number one all right question number two it's in the 80s the grateful dead put out a video and in the video they had skeletons on stage that were playing instruments what was the name of the song behind that video I can distinctly, you know how there's some videos that you can just see in your head. I can distinctly see this one in my head for some reason or another. Uh, okay, so question number two is what is that video from the Grateful Dead with skeletons? Question number three is the group AHA. They released their video in the 80s that featured animation. I also 100% remember this video. Uh, it was sort of uh, comic booky, where there were sort of windows, and the person would go behind the window and be an animation and come out from the window and be a person. But anyway, what was the name of the song that went behind that video? Uh, the fourth question was, what artist won a Grammy for a song called Hot Stuff? And uh, this would be an earlier 80s song. And honestly, wasn't really up my alley as far as the things that I like to listen to. But it certainly is a song that everybody knows. So who sang that song? Uh, the next question is the Culture Club song called Karma Chameleon, which this weekend we were kind of just had music on and that song came on. What three colors are mentioned in that song? So three song, three colors are mentioned in that song. Actually, I think this weekend, I'll Tumble For You came on. We were commenting you don't usually hear I'll Tumble For You because you always hear Karma Chameleon. But what three songs are, are mentioned, or what three colors, I'm sorry, are mentioned in that song? All right. So the sixth question is a movie question. And I actually got this movie question. Don't ask me why. Maybe I watched too many 80s movies, right? So what movie features a verbal exchange on the subway? Where somebody says, tell him I'm not going to marry Richard. And then someone else repeats, she's not going to marry Richard. And this happens on the subway platform. Do you remember that movie? 
And as a bonus, I guess this wasn't part of that question, but if you know what movie that is, you can get bonus points if you know what the most famous quote from that movie is. And we'll talk about that later. Um, all right, number seven. So in number seven, there's a video game question. So in the 80s, Ataria released a video game that featured a field of mushrooms and energy-eating insects. And interestingly enough, this was the first major video game release that was developed by a female. Um, but anyway, what was the name of that Atari video game? All right, number eight. So this is a Richard Pryor movie, The Toy. In the movie The Toy, what actor played the multi-millionaire father named U.S. Bates? And I guess another good bonus question for this one might be, if you know who this actor is, what might be this actor's most famous role uh, in a funny 80s movie? All right. And number nine. So a TV show in the 80s. So on this TV series, Denzel Washington made his network TV debut in the 80s. If you know that series, I got to be honest, I didn't know this one because I didn't watch this TV show. I didn't really watch a bunch of TV shows in the 80s. I guess I watched like what? Like Family Ties and stuff like that, but not this one. But anyway, all right, number 10. So, One Hit Wonder, Modern English, in the 80s, had its most famous song. And the lyrics say, you've seen the difference, and it's getting... <laughs> what is it? <laughs> How could I not remember? <laughs> getting better all the time. There you go. Gosh, why did it take me that long, right? You've seen the difference, and it's getting better all the time. What Modern English song is that? All right, number 11. So number 11 is that R.E.M. has a song that gets to number 9 on the charts with the line in it that says, This one goes out to the one I've left behind. What R.E.M. song was that? All right, number 12. Number 12 had a number 3 hit. This band with a song that had German lyrics in the title. They had a hit. What was the name of that German song? Number twelve. Uh, number 13, sorry. This group reached number three on the charts with a song that was titled Heart in My Heart. So which group was it that sang Heart in My Heart that reached number three in the 80s? All right, so that's 13 questions. So... If you need to hit pause, take a moment to answer those. Um, I I got 12. Like I said, I didn't get the one that was uh, that television show just because I didn't watch that television show. But let's go ahead and review the answers. Let's see how you did. So question number one was, what was Poison's debut album name? And that was called Look What the Cat Dragged In. Number two was what Grateful Dead video has skeletons playing instruments on stage, and that was for their song Touch of Grey. Number three, what AHA video had animation in it, and that was Take On Me. Um, that one I think just about everybody should probably get, because I don't... AHA had one other song, but nothing like that song, right? That was their song. Um, okay, what artist won, won a Grammy for the song Hot Stuff? And that would be Donna Summer. Uh, number five, in the song Karma Chameleon, what three colors are mentioned? And it's red, gold, and green. Says it a bunch of times, right? 
All right, number six. So what movie featured the verbal exchange on the subway? Tell him I'm not going to marry Richard. And that was Crocodile Dundee. I, I could see this in my head, right? What happened was is that uh, Mick was getting on the subway, and the woman like left the man. She wasn't going to marry Richard. She went to catch Mick before he could get on the subway and go get on a flight back to Australia. But there were like, you know, the whole subway platform was full of people in between her and him so she was saying these things and all these people in between were passing the messages back and forth between them and i said too about a bonus if you could get the most famous quote from that movie and obviously i think the most famous quote from that movie would probably be like that's not a knife this is a knife right all right so number seven atari releases a video game uh that has a field of mushrooms with uh, energy eating insects and that video game was centipede number eight in the movie the toy this actor plays multi-millionaire uh, named u.s bates who was the boy's father and that was jackie gleason and i said maybe a bonus question might be what was his maybe most famous 80s funny movie role and that would probably be the sheriff in Smokey and the bandit right all right number nine this is one i didn't get denzel washington made his network tv series debut on this show and that was saying elsewhere and, of course, that was sort of a drama, and I was a kid back then. I don't think that was a show I probably would have watched much of. Uh, number 10, Modern English has its one-hit wonder with a song that says, you've seen the difference, and it's getting better all the time. And, of course, that's Melt With You. Um, and number 11, R.E.M. releases a hit song with this one goes out to the one I left behind. And that was uh, the one I love off the Green album which we listen to a ridiculously too many amount of times. <laughs> uh, number 12. Uh, so, number 12 was this German group reached number 2 on the charts with this song that had German lyrics. The artist was Nana, and the song 99 Luft Balloons, or the English version 99 Red Balloons, which I still don't think is as good. Although, if you really want to hear a great version of it, there's a punk band called Goldfinger that does a punk version of it that's really, really good, and you should probably check that out. <laughs> it's great to listen to now. And finally, number 13 is uh, this group uh, reached number three on the chart with this song called Heart in My Heart, and that group was called Quarter Flash. And I actually have... I think I've got that tape, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Another thing, when I've been cleaning out my room, finding all these CDs and tapes, it's funny, somebody had posted on Facebook, like, they used to make these old Memorex tapes in the 80s that had all these neon colors on them or something, and someone put on a Facebook post that came across my feed that said something along the lines of, if you had these tapes, you're really an 80s kid, and I, like, came back to my room, and in this little drawer, I knew exactly, I had, like, three of them. And they're, like, mixtapes from back in the day where you were, like, waiting on them to play your song so you record it and like telling the DJ to shut up because he was like talking over the intro, right? <laughs> uh, I guess I'm a hoarder, I don't know, but I have all that junk. Um, when I cleaned my room, I, so I moved to South Carolina in ninth grade, but I went to um, elementary school, first part of middle school in Ohio. I actually found my telephone book uh, in a drawer from way back then. I'm reading through it and I remember the people, but man, and seen any of them in 30 years uh, but anyway so I'm trying to clean and trying to get rid of some of my hoarding tendencies I did find some old pictures uh, if you looked on my Facebook feed you know you saw old pictures of me of a picture in my first band looking like I was 12 and some old friends uh, pictures with friends and so uh, 
it is fun to find stuff like that. Maybe that's why I hoard it, with the hope that one day I'll clean it and maybe I can find it and enjoy it again, right? So I'm about to wrap this episode up. I appreciate everybody kind of hanging in there. Uh, If you have any comments, please let me know. Post something on the page. Give me a call. If you see me, talk to me about it. Email 5in40allwords at gmail.com. Uh, send me a, a message. Send me a message if you have any future topics. Uh, the disclaimer that I like to put on is just that anything I've said in this podcast is an opinion of mine. It represents no other person, no other employer, no other business, no other entity. Um, so these are my opinions alone. Um, again, I do want to say I'm not a financial advisor. Um, I'm trying to do some research into kind of how I can expand what I've been doing financially for my future I'm interested in this stuff. I'm looking at it. I'm I'm gaining some more confidence to kind of dip my toe in it. Um, I do recommend you look into it. And I do believe that the, the future ability to really hit it big on a cryptocurrency probably lies in these DeFi's. Um, but again, you got to do some, some work for yourself. But if you come across anything kind of interesting, I'd love to talk to you about it. And if you're interested, I'd like to talk to you about the research I've done. Um, because I've kind of in six coins now that I think have an opportunity maybe to do something in the future. But again, maybe not. You know, I'm not. don't put money in it that you need food on the table with, that's for sure. Um, so I appreciate it. Everybody have a good one. Hang in there, and we'll talk to you later.